Let's dive right in because, you know, it was a very good long weekend for a lot of people, but a really bad one for a few uh, who were involved in some very violent incidents here. We uh, It seems to be an ongoing violent summer, and it's just really started. And, you know... I've got a few thoughts on this I might say for the next segment when it just comes to sort of the cycle of all of this. Uh, I want to talk about this violence, and I want to talk about another story the Toronto Star released today about a secret report, ooh, secret, report that uh, has been put out uh, or released by the Toronto Police after a Freedom of Information request. And Mike McCormick, who is the president of the Toronto Police Association, is kind enough to join me here on the air. Mike, thanks a lot for uh, joining me here and, uh, and and coming on board to talk about these issues. Sure. Uh, you know, thanks for having me. Mike, you know, when it comes to, let's start with this uh, secret report that was released today as part of a Toronto Star article. Uh, this is a report that was done internally by the Toronto Police to examine how uniformed police officers and civilian workers for the police force are handling issues of racial inclusivity and uh, treating people with respect and treating people the same depending on you know their race and and what other you know demographic issues that that might come up between the police officer or the uh, police force and the public that they're dealing with. Mike, is any of this stuff, did, had you seen this before the Star reported it? No, no, and, and I haven't gone through it in any depth, and I, I just had a very cursory look at it, so I, I really can't comment in detail, but what I what I did notice is that we, I think the respondents were 800. Yeah, it was 800 and change, yeah. Uh, yeah a dismal response, I mean, less than, um, you know, 15% of all of our people, and, and you know, to me, it was a very uh, jumbled report. Um, and again, we're, I'm just going through it now, looking at uh, what the stars put out. And, uh, and I, once I've gone through it in some depth, I can comment uh, more fuller on it. Yeah, I guess I can give you a, a few highlights sure. of it here. Uh, apparently, it was 809 officers, senior commanders, and civilian employees volunteered to take the test. I don't know how many were asked, if it was all of them or, yeah, or what? Everybody. It was everyone. Yeah, so less than 15% return rate. And this is an intercultural development inventory test, which is done in corporations and other things to test exactly what we're talking about here, how the, in this case, the police force deals with people who are of a, of a racial demographic or a, a different demographic than, I, I guess, what you would assume the norm is, and that's changing every single day. Mm. Um you know, Mike, I, on sort of an over overview, sort of uh, satellite image of all of, of all of this. Basically, the idea behind it was that people had a sort of monocultural mindset. It was uh, they were you know, polarizing. They were in denial. They had an us versus them perspective. One of the things that uh, one of the highlights of it that I found interesting was that senior uniformed officers had a significantly better ranking on this test than people who worked behind the scenes and people who were civilians. Is there any reason why you would think sort of, I know I'm just sort of bringing that up with you here on the air. Is there any reason anecdotally why you would think that that would be? Um, you know, when you say they, they ranked higher on it, what specifically are you talking specifically about? Specifically, we're talking about their the gap that they had between uh, bes- between being sort of 
a uh, it's, it's a really confusing thing. They call it a de- develop, developmental orientation. So talking about their uh, their view of people who are you know whether they are different or whether they are the same as. Mm. Well, yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, if if you know the the, the our senior members again, I'm, I haven't seen the data around it, and uh, the, the, you know, the reports saying that senior members uh, are, are are more in tune, are more tolerant of uh, diversity. Is that what you're saying that the report? Yes, said? the senior uniform yeah. members are. Yeah, yeah, and and that's you know that's that's interesting. Um, for a few reasons. I think that a lot of the officers have been on for many years. It, you know, when we look at the difference, you have to look at it as a generational thing. You look at the difference between millennials and the way people think and mindset, social media and stuff like that. A lot of the senior officers, their experience is on uh, sort of uh, firsthand experience, meaning getting out there, getting being part of the communities. Um, and when we, as, and, I, and I put myself in that category as senior police uh, officers, um, we didn't have the media barrage of negativity as well. So, you know, when you talk about the uh, social media, when we talk about the perception of policing, um, we were perceived quite differently. So I, I think that the younger officers um, feel a lot more, and it, I'm not surprised when they when the report mentioned about uh, feeling isolated or not in them mentality, but a lot of that is driven by a culture of social media where uh, we, we've been talking policing for the last five years, the demonization of policing. So, you know, that, that actually doesn't surprise me that uh, the senior police officials who've worked in the communities and done stuff within those communities have a better perspective. I think we can all sort of take that from our own lives, you know, people who maybe you didn't understand from afar you understand a little bit more when you're out there dealing with right, with them on right. a day on a daily basis you know, the uh, person one of the people behind this test is a uh, toronto-based diversity consultant hamlin grange who is saying that it's no longer good enough for the police officers to simply uh, you know attend events and take part in activities in specific con- communities he said that uh, there are great benefits to this. However, being exposed to cultural differences is not the same as experiencing those differences. Exactly. This will require a change of mindset of police officers and a change of culture. Do police officers need to experience racism in order to understand it? I don't. I I I, 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 I feel like there's a disconnect there. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect, and I, I don't think that's the issue that you need to experience racism. Uh, you know, uh, to to be able to identify to, uh, with it or to be able to um, take a stance against it. But you know what 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 I see as a police officer and, and being embedded in a community and stuff like that, and to be experiencing community rather than learning about it in a class or understanding it from that from an academic, as it were, standpoint, as opposed to a practical standpoint, which is something that. You know, to me, community-based policing uh, deals with this issue where you're embedded within your communities or within the communities, and you have a, a way more robust understanding of the communities, the concerns of the communities, uh, the confidence of the community, uh, and being able to have a dialogue or a connection with that community, which is huge. And and that part I agree with, but and that's something we just don't have anymore in policing because we don't have the resources to do that anymore. And Mike, do you think that that is leading to this violence that we've seen over the weekend and over the summer so far? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's many aspects to it. And, you know, we can sit and, and have all the experts and academics and everybody get together. Okay, we've got socioeconomic issues. There are opportunity issues. You have to get people, you have to get them out of the, the gang and gun culture. We have to provide uh, jobs. We have to provide opportunities on all these things and education. All these things are very valuable things, and I support them fully. But right now, you know, as somebody who worked in a high-risk neighborhood for quite some time, Mm -hmm. many years in the Regent Park community, and seen this type of violence, uh, not to this level, because um, you have to do it from a triage point of view. And nobody seems to be talking about an action plan right now to deal with the violence. And and again, you know, to, to answer your question, when we're down 800 police officers in the last eight years, and our officers are in nothing more than a reactive policing mode where there's no proactive policing, none of that stuff that you saw in this report, none of the stuff that we're talking about that has huge value, whether it's in relationships and our intelligence, is occurring right now. So this is definitely one of the factors uh, that is uh, causing an increase in violence. Mike, that's a, a drum that you've been beating for quite some time now. Yeah. We, are, are you getting any traction on this? We've, we're hearing the mayor's mad, he's damn mad about what's going on in the city. Is there, is there any traction on getting more officers on the force? And, and, and what would they be doing? Because the, you know, I almost feel like, because it's not like it's isolated to any specific communities. We've got it downtown, we've got shootings yeah. in Scarborough and in Etobicoke. It's happening in, play, in highly populated places, in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect, in parking garages, in brazen, very, very visual places. And, you know, are, would they be just walking a beat? Would they be on foot? Are they investigating? What should they be doing? And are you getting any traction on getting them there? Okay, so the first thing is getting traction. No, you know, I, I wouldn't be still beating the drum if we were getting the traction that we needed. And, and, and you know, and when people say, well, Mike, you're the union leader, of course, you want more money, you want more police officers. That is entirely not what is going on here. What is going on here is we just need officers that can do the job to get us out of this reactive policing. As I said, 800 police officers down. We're at the lowest number of police officers we've been since 1999. We've seen a city grow by 400,000 people in the last 10 years. And and again, at 20%, 800 police officers, 800 fewer police officers. So what you know, when I'm, I'm talking to my officers, whether in the, the intelligence side, the investigative side, uh, the uniform side, it's the same story. So what's happening, and your points are exactly right. These shootings, you know, are not happening at, in high-risk neighborhoods. They're not happening in very localized communities. They are happening all over. Two kids shot mm-hmm. in a playground. Yeah. They had a police officer shot. This stuff on Queen Street, on Augusta in shopping malls, in a bowling alley on a Friday night. So, I mean, what's happening is that the people who are doing these shootings, they feel empowered, uh, that they can carry their firearms wherever they want. The police aren't going to stop them. They're not going to have any problems with the police. And once they start carrying their firearms, they're running into each other in different areas. So you have the entertainment district, for instance. Different groups will go down there, and they'll run into each other, mm. and they'll all have firearms. And the next thing, they take them out and start using them. Yeah, it's so, like running into an ex, but in this case, yeah. it's running into someone that you have a beef with, and yeah. it gets and, and, it gets ugly. Yeah, so once you have a position of empowerment that you're you know you're carrying that firearm, uh, you're not concerned about the police, then this is what, what's happening. And, and when we talk about community-based policing it gives, and proactive policing, 
Uh, it gives us, like I said, that intelligence to understand what's going on, to be able to invest. And the goal is to stop the people who are carrying firearms, whether you have to arrest them or get them off the streets or uh, make it that it's uncomfortable for them and they think that they're going to be arrested or stopped. So prevent them from carrying those firearms because that's what's happening. So we have to have a proactive policing component to do that. And we don't have that. Our officers just come in and they go from call to call to call. And there's no time to do any of that proactive, whether it's interacting with the community, getting the intelligence, building the relationships, or even something as, as minor as, let's say, traffic stops. And when we look in Toronto, and this is pretty scary, in the last five years, we have uh, gone from over 500,000 provincial offense tickets. That means police officers. And a lot of people are probably thankful that we're not doing as much as we used to do. But over 500,000 provincial offense tickets to oh, just around 252,000. So that, th- think of how many less stops that we're doing and what we used to do. And I'll, I'll, But those stops, do, you know, you'd be pulling someone over and then hopefully and by it, accident you're finding a gun. Or yeah, you're you would find something or the, the person who is, is driving the car or whatever, you know, was wanted or uh, had some offenses and stuff. But many, many times a simple traffic stop, and we've seen it so many times in policing, leads, as you said, to a, a larger investigation where guns are involved, where drugs are involved, money. And that's what this all circulates. A lot of this circulates around the Chiefs' right, around gang activity. But I, I haven't heard from the mayor an action plan. I've heard that, oh, we're the safest city in, in North America. And I'm sure that's very consoling to the 11 people that were shot over the last weekend. But when, when am I going to hear an action plan? That's why we've written to the uh, premier. We've asked her, I mean, we need to see an action plan. We need to see some boots on the ground. We need to do something to stop the violence now and then look at the mid and long term uh, propositions of getting people out of the culture. Thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate your time. I've crushed the clock here. <laughs> but thank oh. you so much for coming on and, uh, and shedding some light on all of this. Yeah. Thanks for having me.